One of the most important life lessons to learn, if someone offers you a great job, go ahead and take it whether you actually know what you're doing or not. This is the Greatest Story Ever podcast. There comes a time when all the cosmic tumblers have clicked into place and the universe opens itself up for a few seconds to show you what's possible. With Keith Conrad. You know, everything is not an anecdote. You have to discriminate. Here's a good idea. Have a point. It makes it so much more interesting for the listener. One person I'd like to meet is Ander Christensen from Lincoln City, Nebraska. Ander recently took to the lectern at his local city council meeting to make a passionate plea for the council to address a critical issue facing all of us. My name is Ander Christensen. Uh, I live at 1212 Twin Ridge Road. Lincoln has the opportunity to be a social leader in this country. We have been casually ignoring a problem that has gotten so out of control that our children are throwing around names and words without even understanding their true meaning and treating things as, as though they're normal. I go into nice family restaurants and I see people throwing this name around and pretending as though everything is just fine. I'm talking about boneless chicken wings. I propose that we as a city remove the, excuse me, I'm trying to, yeah, excuse me, sure. come on. I propose that we as a city remove the name boneless wings from our menus and from our hearts. These are our reasons why. Number one, nothing about boneless chicken wings actually come from the wing of a chicken. We would be disgusted if a butcher was mislabeling their cuts of meats, but then we go around and pretending as though the breast of the chicken is its wing. Number two, boneless chicken wings are just chicken tenders, which are already boneless. I don't go to order boneless tacos. I don't go and order boneless club sandwiches. I don't ask for boneless auto repair. It's just what's expected. And then number three, we need to raise our children better. Our children are raised being afraid of having bones attached to their meat. That's where meat comes from. It grows on bones. We need to teach them that the wing of a chicken is from a chicken and it's delicious. I propose that we rename boneless wings in the city of Lincoln. We can call them buffalo style chicken tenders. We can call them wet tenders. We can call them saucy nugs or trash. We can take these steps and show the country that where we stand and that we understand that we've been living a lie for far too long and we know it because we feel it in our bones. Thank you. Andrew. Not all heroes wear capes. Keep fighting the good fight, Ander. Of course, you would have already heard about Ander if you subscribe to my free email newsletter. It's the sort of entertaining and thought provoking content you'd expect to get from me if I was producing your radio show or podcast. Thought-provoking might be a bit of a stretch because I'm actually trying to avoid politics like the plague, but it's a pretty good bet something in it will make you laugh and laugh till you stop. Sign up at keithconradmedia.com. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever you happen to be listening to help more and more people find the show. My guest today is one of the most creative people I've ever had the chance to work with. He's worked in radio in both Memphis and Atlanta, where we crossed paths. He's a great Twitter follow at Nation of Jake. Jay Cook, thanks so much for joining me. Oh, no problem. Anything for Keith Conrad. Now, you know, I like to, uh, I, I'm, you know, anybody who's who's known me or spent any time talking to me or listened to this podcast, I, I'm a Cubs fan. And, uh, and I spent a lot of time living in the South um, for various reasons. And, uh, um, you know, I, I like to make fun of Braves fans. I, I'm just going to be honest with you. Is this like a dueling superstations thing? Is that what this is? <laughs> it, 
it might be. I, I think it was because like the the Braves were really good, and, and I mean they're they're good right now, actually, coincidentally. Uh, but but like when I was younger, so like we're talking the '90s when the Braves were you know like legitimately at their at their peak in the Maddox Glavin Smoltz era, the golden age of Braves baseball, you might call it, it. exactly. At the same time that they were that good, the Cubs were horrendous. And I moved to the South where I'm surrounded by, by Braves fans um, who are, you know, bragging about how great the, the Braves are. And then I'm, I'm watching them on TV and the stadium's half full. So I was a little annoyed by that. I think that was the big thing. Well, it depends on how far back you go with the Braves. You know, if you're talking about the 90s, I get it. The Cubs are awful. The only good thing to watch on the Cubs is Greg Maddox every five days and then right. he goes and then he signs with the Braves. So yeah, I can understand why you would be so upset as a Cubs fan, but uh, where I grew up, it was all Cardinals fans, man. And I was a lone Braves fan. And anytime somebody found out I was a Braves fan, this is in the eighties. Now they would say, Oh my God, why? Cause if you, <laughs> if you recall before the Braves of the nineties, there were the Braves of the eighties and they were yeah. bad. I think save one year, 82, the Braves had a pretty decent little run. But man, those mid-80s to late-80s Braves teams were awful. And it wasn't until the 90s that anybody ever took any notice of the Braves. Yeah, even like 1990, like they literally went from they they literally went from worst to first. So I mean they both teams in the nineteen ninety-one World Series, the Braves and the Twins, had gone from worst to first. I mean, we are talking some bad, bad baseball in the 80s into in Atlanta until 91. And so the only, I guess you had Dave Justice in 1990. It was a bright spot. And then they went out and they signed some free agents to bring the young guys along. But it wasn't until that pitching staff of Glavin, Smoltz, and Steve Avery, and Kent Merker, and Pete Smith before they signed Maddox. You, you got you to think about it. Before Greg Maddox came over to the Braves in 93, and so you, you still had some some rising stars up there, Hall of Famers pitching for the Braves before Maddox even got there. So I, I can I can understand your perspective, especially having moved from Chicago to the South. And I know you worked a number of years in Atlanta, uh, same station where I worked, where I was able to uh, ascend to the major leagues and uh, as a as a producer for the Braves. So yeah, that couldn't have been easy. All those bad years in Chicago. It was, I, I will say that, um, you know, cause, cause we're talking, you know, when the Braves are, uh, are first, you know, hitting their, their peak there, uh, I'm in like fifth and sixth grade, you know, in, in Alabama at the time. And I will say that I, I have what I feel was just the, the greatest line ever because there was somebody who was giving me a hard time about the Cubs. I, I think maybe the, the Braves and Cubs just played each other and, you know, the Braves obviously, uh, you know, wiped the floor with them. And, he, and he's giving me a hard time. He's like, why are you a Cubs fan? They always lose. And it just so happened that this kid was wearing a, a Confederate flag t-shirt because back then you could. Right. Yeah. It had, had a lot of that, a lot of that in middle school went on. A lot of the Southern pride, Confederate flag stuff, a very strange time were the, were the mid nineties. Right. And, and, uh, and he's, you know, how can you like the Cubs? You're always losing that. And, and, and I told him you're wearing a Confederate flag. You guys are 0 and 1. <laughs> Boom! And that's where Keith Conrad peaked when it came to his burns. Exactly, yeah. I remember well, I was fifth grade in some, <laughs> some bastard with a Confederate flag shirt. Oh, man. 
Oh. Yeah, that, that was that was my peak. So uh, so let, let's talk about how you ended up uh, not only being a Braves fan, but but surrounded by the Braves. It's it's odd, man, because it starts way back when when I was a kid, my dad was with FedEx and, and way back in the day with FedEx, you know, old Fred Smith said, hey, we need you here. You go. You go. So my dad got a job with FedEx in 1980, I believe, worked in Memphis a few years, bounced to Shreveport, Louisiana, Mobile, Alabama. By the time I was like seven years old, maybe even earlier than that, I think I started like kindergarten, five years old, six years old uh, in Atlanta, just south of Atlanta in a little Mm -hmm. town called Peachtree City. So my dad's excited. He's working in Atlanta. You know, this is a big town. You got a major league baseball team to root for now, son. And so we would go to Fulton County Stadium and we'd watch the Braves, which back in the day when you watched the Braves and went to a game, you would go see Dale Murphy hit three times and you'd go home. So, you know, as, as, as long as you got to see three at-bats by Murph, that's about as as good as the game got. And so you left. And you're right, Keith. I mean, in the, in the 80s especially, that that stadium was empty. Mm-hmm. You, you could buy a nosebleed seat and then walk down to the, the right behind home plate because nobody was going to the games. All right. So uh, I became a big Braves fan. You know, why not? They're the hometown team. You got Dale Murphy to root for and then a bunch of other, you know, guys, you know, some the Pasquale Perez's and the Odeby McDowell's and whatnot. Dale Murphy and 24 other people. Sure. You had Bob Horner. You had some bright spots, some other guys here and there. But basically you had Dale Murphy. It was it was Murph's team for a long, long time. So I became a Braves fan. And then, you know, due to some unfortunate circumstances, uh, we had to move away, middle of second grade. All right, mm-hmm. here I am. Uh, Atlanta's pretty much all I, I know. The Braves are, are the baseball team I love. And we end up in my, my actual uh, birthplace of Memphis, Tennessee, and I'm right in the middle of Cardinal country. See, I feel about the St. Louis Cardinals how you feel about the Braves, even though you and I should both hate the Cardinals because you're a Cubs fan, right? Oh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I also, uh, you know, have a, a strong, passionate uh, dislike for the Cardinals, too. Well, well, mind you, I'm in Atlanta. I love the Braves. I go to Memphis. Everybody loves the Cardinals. 1985, the Cardinals, I believe. The Cardinals win it all in 85, I believe so, against Kansas. I believe they did, yeah. yeah. All right. And then in, again in 87, I believe the, the Twins beat the Cardinals or the Cardinals beat the Either way. The Cardinals were always in the conversation. They were very good. This team, I mean, you had Willie McGee and Pedro Guerrero, and you had Ozzy at shortstop. You had just really good baseball going on in St. Louis and very bad baseball going on in Atlanta. So here I am, a Braves fan in Memphis. You can't even find Braves gear. There was no internet to order anything. There was no Braves fan site. There was no MLB.com. You had to go to uh, the department store. You had to go to Sears or Dillard's or something to get any baseball stuff, and it was all Cardinals stuff. All right, then 1991 rolls around, and then you got the Braves. They go to the World Series against the Twins and one of the greatest series ever played. Goes to Game 7 with John Smoltz facing off with Jack Morris, both guys throwing complete game shutouts at each other. It was amazing. Even in the loss, there was nothing but pride coming from Braves fans. So then the you know, bandwagon starts up. You know, kids around around me, uh, just east of Memphis, where I grew up, started loving the Braves. But I was the OG, all right? I was the original Braves guy. Everybody knew me as the Braves fan. If anybody had any trivia or, oh, they needed a stat about Atlanta Braves baseball, I was the guy, 
All right, well, fast forward. You know, you get older, you get other interests. I'm into rock and roll. I'm in and out of bands. You know, I'm this failed music musician, this front man, rock and roll front man. But uh, things, things, uh, it kind of took a, another unfortunate turn. I was engaged to be married to a, to a chick, and uh, she didn't want to marry me anymore. And I was like, oh, I'm depressed. And my band broke up. And I was like, oh, I'm depressed. This is awful. All, all, all at once. Oh, yeah, dude, it happened all like very quickly. Like uh, my band broke up, the whole record deal falls through. And I'm not, I'm not even uh, embellishing that at all. We had a record deal that fell through. And then my, my would-be marriage uh, fell through, and that became a blessing. That was a, a bullet dodged, all right? That said, uh, I was down, man. I was, I was hating life, and I got a phone call from a very good friend of mine who worked in radio in Atlanta named Dave Clapper. Now, now Dave Clapper is a, a legend, at least in my life. This guy has popped up and, and saved my butt more than once, all right? He, he and I got to talking. He said, hey, man, down the street at the uh, Braves Radio Network, they're looking for a new promotions director. He's like, uh, you, should, you should apply for that job. Now, look, I was not looking to leave Memphis and my family or anything like that, but I thought to myself, wow, how cool would that be? Like the OG Braves fan of Memphis gets a job with the Braves Radio Network, even if it's a promotions job where I'm setting up tents and going out to like you know pep rallies and stuff. Well, I mean, where you know, yeah, at that, that point, you're probably not in social media, yeah. but that's the sort of thing where where you know your friends from high school and everything are looking at that and they're like, oh wow, Jake made it. Or or just you know, hey, you know, the guy got out of his hometown. He got out of Memphis. You know, and, and Memphis right. is a very big small town, and I was involved in this music scene. And so I had a lot of people that I was regularly in contact with. And yeah, I think we had like MySpace. It wasn't like uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and how social media defines so many people now and, and defines their lives and how their lives are represented to other people, right? Uh, that said, I was like, hey, that might be cool. So I remember uh, getting an interview for this job. I, I called a guy, uh, another Chicagoan, Chad Clark, a friend of ours, a guy we worked with over at the old uh, building in Atlanta. I called him and I said, hey, man, my name is Jake Cook. Dave Clapper suggested I call you about this promotions director job with the Braves Radio Network. I just need from you what you need from me. I need, well, where can I send my resume? Who do I send it to uh, so we can get this process started? I was very direct, very assertive, very confident. And, and that's what uh, Chad said he remembered about me. So he takes my name to a guy named Scott. And then Scott's like, yeah, let's set up an interview. <laughs> so I think a week later, I had an interview with the Braves Radio Network. Now, mind you, this was big time for me. This was like the first time that I was actually leaving home. I didn't have a suit. I had to borrow a suit from my buddy's dad. So I was like, you know, I'd shave my beard, get a suit, go do this interview, you know, fake it till you make it. Just, I, you're good at talking, talk your way into the job. So I went and I interviewed for this gig. And then I, I drove back to Atlanta, not knowing if I had it. I, I thought I did well. Uh, and then uh, a week after that, I found out that I was the guy they wanted to hire for the job. And again, you know, for me, I knew because I was in radio, this was a promotions job. And, and it's fine. You know, people who work in marketing and promotions, it's, it's good. But for most people who don't work in radio, 
You can just say, hey, I nailed a, a job with a, a major league radio network. This is great, yeah. right? So here I am. I'm on top of the world. You know, I'm going in to this new job in Atlanta, major market radio. I'm, I'm the world beater now. You know, my, my, my band thing breaking up, I'm past it. The girl who dumped me, I'm past it. Uh, now I'm, I'm moving on to bigger and better things. So I, I get to Atlanta, and man, it's, it's not what I thought it was going to be. Uh, I've got these bosses, like three or four of them. And, and you've worked in radio long enough to know, Keith, that it is not fun having three or four bosses. No, it's really not. I mean, you don't know. Picture the, the, the scene in uh, Office Space where they're talking about the TPS reports. That's basically what it's like. Right. I mean, you not only have worked in radio, you worked at the same radio station I'm talking about right now. I mean, when <laughs> you have a program director, you've got a sales manager, you've got not only a general manager of the station, you've got a general manager of the Braves Radio Network, and the network airs on two stations, and those two stations feed hundreds of radio stations. So there are all these people who always need something all of the time. And I'm not the guy who can make any decisions on anything because I've got three or four bosses. So it's, it's, a, it's a grind. Uh, the first three months, you know, new situation. I have no friends. I want to get along with everybody at the radio station, but there's at least two or three people at the radio station who wanted the job that you got, and they hate you. So you're forced to work with people who are adversarial from the beginning. And so it's not until about 90 days in, maybe four months in, where I start to feel comfortable, where you got to prove yourself. You got to stand up to people without being insubordinate. You've got to kind of uh, work your way through it. And it's the same with any job you get. Any job you get, you got to have that 90 days, that three months to get comfortable with it. And so here I am getting comfortable with it. Everything is good. And we get through the first season of Braves baseball and we learn a lot about it. Because mind you, this was like a, if you recall, uh, Keith, was a $65 million rights deal. Uh, yeah. Yeah. It was like $13 million a year that our radio stations were paying to carry Braves baseball and that we also had to abide by all the major league rules, all the team stuff, because it doesn't matter uh, if you're the radio network, you're still the tail and the team is the dog, you know, and the, and the tail's not going to wag the dog. You have to fall in line. So we learned a lot, but at that point, the producer uh, and, and program director, I guess, of the network, uh, he leaves and he takes a job uh, ironically, in Memphis, or coincidentally, I don't know, that Alanis Morissette song screwed me up as far as what is ironic and what is not. Uh, so uh, this guy goes to Memphis, and it creates a void in the producer's chair, which is promptly filled by uh, another guy who is not me, uh, but not for long, because there was a shakeup with the network and how it was working out with the guy at master control and yada, yada, a bunch of inside technical stuff that one day I get a phone call uh, from the program director of WGST at the time. And he says, Hey, Jake, do you know how to run the broadcast? And you know, during that first season, I had never run the broadcast. All right. So I, I, I I'd seen it done a thousand times. And I said to myself, if I say no, then they're not going to give me a chance to do it. But mm -hmm. if I say yes, I can learn to do it real fast. 
So I lied my ass off. I said, oh yeah, I've seen that done a thousand times. I can run that broadcast. It's no problem. And so that's the answer they wanted. They wanted somebody to just help solve the problem. And so I said, yeah, I'll do it. I'll, I'll do it. Where do I need to be? And they said, well, you're going to be on a plane to Tampa to engineer three games, the Braves against the Rays. And then you're going to go to Yankee Stadium and do the Yankees series. And then we'll kind of see where we are when we get back. And at like, the beginning, you were probably thinking, I could just do that and I'd be uh, I'd be able to die happy. Yeah, I was like, what? I was like, that's going to be great. Now, mind you, when you when you go out and produce these games, Keith, you, you get total access to everything at these ballparks. Not only that, you get to fly with the team, on the team plane, on mm-hmm. the charter. You get to fly with a Major League Baseball team. And not only that, you get to... Go into the interview rooms with the manager of the team, Bobby Cox, at the time. You go really what it was was going to his office and and hearing him just kind of BS about baseball and the team and whatever else was going on uh, during his day. Uh, mind you, as a Braves fan growing up, if you told me, "Hey, you get to go hang out with Bobby Cox every day," you get to fly on a plane with guys like Chipper Jones. It was it was like, wait, what? You you do what now? And when I told people I was going to get that opportunity, they were like, wow, that that sounds like it'll be pretty fun. You know, enjoy your time in Tampa and in New York. And so I I get into the broadcast booth and the guys at the time uh, broadcasting Braves games were the legendary Skip Carey and Pete Van Weeren. Now, Mm -hmm. these are guys that I grew up listening to. Not only did I listen to them, I watched them on the Superstation TBS and so kind of being in their presence, like hearing them talk to you, not uh, broadcasting a game was surreal. And, and I'd, I'd met them before in my days as the marketing director than the season before. But uh, being welcomed by those guys immediately when they found out that I was going to come into the booth and fill in, they were so nice to me. And they, they, they made me feel welcome. They made me feel like part of the team. So in those two series, you know, I learned a lot. I made some mistakes, but I corrected them. I got comfortable with it, and it was it was time of my life, man. I was like, this is this is truly a highlight. I called my dad, you know, all these, you know, from the road, and it was it was so much fun. Then, as I'm landing back in Atlanta after those two series are over, the road trip is done. I'm on the I'm on the plane, and they say, yeah, you can use your phones. Which, by the way, if you're on a major league charter, they don't tell you to turn off your phones. They don't make you put on your seatbelts. <laughs> They, they don't make you sit down for takeoff and landing. They let you do whatever you want. All right. So I, 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 we land and I get a phone call from the program director. And he says to me, Jake, how did it go? I said, I think it went pretty well. Everything went pretty smoothly. I mean, how did it sound? And they said, it sounded great. It's fine. He said, did you have fun? And I said, of course I had fun. This was a blast and I appreciate you letting me do it. And he said, how would you like this to be your job from now on? What do you think I answered, Keith? I said, well, I'll have to go home and think about it for a day or two. Yeah. I said, you serious, dude? Are you serious? He said, yeah. Yeah. If, if this is something you want to do, then this is your gig from now on. And I'm like, well, hell yeah. I was then at that point. The traveling producer, engineer, operations, I don't know. I just called myself the producer of Atlanta Braves baseball. 
on the Atlanta Braves radio network. That's like, that's it. That's like, boom, I've made it. I get to do this all the time. So that's, it, it was just such an odd story of, you know, where you put yourself, you know, like, you know, you get, be, be available to do the thing. The The first thing is be the marketing guy and it might not be fun, but it gets you closer to something else. And then if, as the marketing guy, going to the booth and kind of seeing how it's done and being present, let people get to know you. And then who, who knows, you know, with a stroke of luck, you might end up uh, going on the road with the, with the Atlanta Braves. And that honestly, man, to this day, um, it was the right gig for the right time. You know, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I don't think that anybody can do that job. There are guys who have done it. I mean, there are guys in other, other cities who have, have done this job for 40 years. I, I don't know if it was a 40 year job for me. It obviously wasn't because I did it for about five uh, because you, you can't do it and really uh, have a family that's going to, that's going to stand for all that kind of, that kind of travel talking about. Yeah, because traveling it's 80, 80 days a year. Yeah. So it's 82 games and sometimes you got an off day out of town. And so you're, you're essentially traveling three months a year. Uh, and even when you're at home, you're still at the ballpark, uh, all kinds of hours and the, the, the real good hours, the, you know, noon till midnight hours. So, you know, it's a tough gig to do if you want to have a family or, or really do anything else, you get your off seasons, which is pretty cool. But at the same time, you know, for me, when it was time to walk away from it in uh, the year 2009, it was a good time. It was a good experience to have had. You know, it was one of those gigs where you really don't want to overstay it, at least in my opinion. Again, there are guys who have. I mean, there are guys who have been the producers and engineers of, of Major League Baseball teams for a, a long, long time. And that was fun, too, getting to know those other uh, teams, you know, the mm-hmm. other play-by-play guys, because you would see them, you know, twice a year at minimum. You know, if you were playing a, an out-of-division team, if you're playing your in-division teams, you get to be real good friends with those guys because you play those those teams 20 times a year. But, like, for you, a Chicago sports fan and Cubs fan, I mean, I loved hanging out with guys like Ron Sano. You know, Ron Sano, what an icon and a gem of a human being he was. And, and he's not here anymore. Mm-hmm. And, and so, you know, he's the kind of guy where – you know, people will never forget Ron Santo. I got to hang out with Ron Santo and hear stories about Ron Santo and Jimmy Banks, the traveling secretary for the Cubs, alongside Pat Hughes. I got to be buddies with Matt Boltz, who was their producer engineer for a number of years. I don't know if Matt Boltz is still working for him or not, but I've lost touch with a lot of those guys uh, since then. But I mean, some of the friends you make and that shared experience you have, because there's so few of those jobs in baseball broadcasting. I mean, I right. feel like I was... I was not only, you know, really fortunate to be in position to get those, uh, get that gig and, uh, and, uh, have those experiences. I mean, it's, it's a very few people can even relate to, to what that job is, and especially at the time, because it's, Harry Callis was still around and I mm-hmm. got to meet Vince Scully and, and they don't make them like that anymore, Keith. So I'd say, uh, important life lesson here, um, Somebody asks if you can do something, whether you can or not, just say, oh, yeah, sure, I can do that. Oh, yeah, it's the old fake it till you make it kind of deal. I mean, you know, don't be, it'll be, don't be reckless about it. But, you know, we're talking, we're going to talk about, hey, can you, can you save this drowning man, sir? Don't, don't fake your way through that. But, hey, can you, 
can you turn these knobs and switches at a major league baseball stadium and, and not, can you, can you keep us on the air? Oh yeah, I can do that. No problem. Uh, yeah, I mean, you, you worked around audio equipment, so yeah, you could probably figure it out. Well, yeah. And, and honestly, when I told him I could do it, I, it's not like I just uh, faked my way through it. I got all the audio equipment in my office and I hooked it all up uh, to make sure I could do it. And I asked the engineers questions and I, I made sure that I was able to do it before I actually went out and did it. Um, you know, I wouldn't say, again, you know, don't be reckless, but put yourself in position, you know, believe in yourself, as they would say. But uh, take advantage of a situation as they come, because had I been shy about that, or if I had been uh, nervous or scared, I, I would have missed out on a really great four years. I mean, we're talking about going out on the team planes. I got to see the country on somebody else's dime. I mean, there are places I would have never gotten to go if it weren't for that job. I mean, you pick up, go, go online right now and see how much, maybe not right now because of the COVID times and and airfare is, is, is cheap, but during regular times, uh, go figure out how much it's going to cost you to, to fly out to Seattle and back or, or to San Diego or mm-hmm. to Montreal. I, I didn't go to Montreal. I mean, uh, the other one, Toronto. Uh, I got to see the country and I got to travel to some great ballparks and go drink in, in really fun places uh, after games and meet people. Uh, who I would have never had the opportunity to meet uh, had it not been for just taking advantage of that of that situation. It was a simple question: Hey, Jake, can you run this broadcast? And so it was it was a lot of fun, but it was it's like you know one of of many things that I have done or plan on doing with my life, and and it was a story. It's a story now that I have to tell, um, you know. And and it's not like I go around you know flashing my my business card, this is former producer of Braves baseball. But you know, when we, when we talk baseball or when we talk about the Braves or we talk about uh, different parts of the, of the country and that I've been, it kind of comes up in conversation with people and they're always like, wait a second, you did what now? Which is, which is always kind of cool when you're, when you're talking about life in general, you know? So, uh, and then, and that led to other cool stuff, man. I was, I was there at WGST and WKLS, which, ran the Braves games. And when it came time for, for me to walk away from the producer's chair with Braves baseball, I got to start producing talk shows. Uh, at the same time right. you were producing talk shows, Keith, there at WGST. And then that, that led to another opportunity where I was recruited to do my own show in my hometown. And so I got to do that for a while. So uh, it was, it was a really cool unforeseen deal. I had never planned on going into, I honestly, like when you listen to the radio, listen to your favorite baseball team. I mean, how do you go about applying for that job? You don't even know. Like there's, I mean, maybe you, you cruise some job boards and then maybe that job comes up on one of them. But what are the odds of actually applying, seeing it, then applying for it, being in a position to go do it? It was like the perfect storm of, 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 uh, I guess the perfect consequences or the perfect situation, whatever you want to call it, but it, it well, worked you, out. You never know. You never know how one thing is going to lead to another because you know we we've talked about uh, you know the situation there in Atlanta, which was not ideal, and um, you know I had moved down to Atlanta specifically for that job. It didn't work out, you know, anywhere near the way that I thought it would. Um, but the the combination of having experience in a number of different places 
including a large market like Atlanta, is the whole reason that the uh, you know the guy here in, in Chicago, Marcus Brown, hired me uh, to come back home to Chicago. So you never know how one you know experience is going to lead to another. Well, yeah, you know what they say in in music. When I was in a band back in Memphis, you know everybody wanted a record deal. Everybody wanted to get signed back in the day in the late '90s, early 2000s. That that was the name of the game: is to get a big following and get signed. And somebody said to me, hey, look, if you want to be big in Memphis, you got to get out of Memphis. And I I didn't know what he meant at first because I was young and stupid. But what it came down to was you have to go out and do the thing that you want to do to be recognized for doing it. And instead of just hanging out in your comfort zone, telling everybody how bad you want it, you have to go do it. So Mm -hmm. sometimes in order to be recognized, where you are, you got to go somewhere else to do something. And that's kind of what I I had to do with my radio career. I was working part-time at a rock station in Memphis. And so I was like, you know what? This just isn't working because everybody here knows me as the the kid who started here. Even though I've gotten better at what I've done, even though I've progressed, and even though I'm better at what I do, they, they don't see it that way. They see me as the kid who started five years ago. So what do you have to do? You have to go away. You have to make them miss you. You've got to sharpen your your claws somewhere else. And then they take notice and they say, wait a second, is that the same guy? And so you come back with a a better resume, having more experience, and then you you get that position you wanted all along. But you can't do it if you just stay in the same place. And so that's that's kind of what I've learned. So, uh, you know, going back to Memphis and doing my own show for a few years on a couple of different radio stations. Uh, that kind of set me up to come back to Atlanta and, and continue my radio career. And it all looks way different now. As as you can attest right now, we are talking to each other in separate cities by way of a computer. Uh, this wasn't like this 10 years ago. You couldn't do it. So uh, things are always constantly changing. But the one thing that doesn't is just you got to get out and do it. You know, another funny thing about all of this, and if you want to talk about you know, taking this story up a notch. Uh, so we, we kind of covered, I went from a, a Braves fan living in Memphis. I'm sorry, a Braves fan living in Peachtree City to a Braves fan living in Memphis to moving to Atlanta, where mm-hmm. in, you know, uh, amid all this, you know, going on the road with the Braves and, and making friends with guys like Mark Lemke and Chip Carey and Skip Carey and, and guys like that. Uh, I also uh, met kind of re-met a girl I went to second grade with when I was a little Braves fan in Peachtree City. All right, I, I reconnect with this this girl who I really didn't remember all that well. Her name is Kristen, and, and now she's my wife. Oh, so wow. We were in the same second grade class that second grade year, and then I had to move right in the middle. I just I just up and moved, and she, she, had never, she never saw me again until um, 20-something years later, when through a mutual friend, we, we end up talking again. And so now she and I are married and we have two daughters and we live in Peachtree City. So it's, it's, <laughs> it's odd. I mean, you never know where life is going to take you, but, you know, I guess uh, the moral of the story is just let it take you, you know, and yeah. you never kind of, you, know, you, you, you can regret some of the things, but man, you regret them even more if you don't do them. That's, that's what I've kind of found, not to get too philosophical, not to get too wistful, Keith Conrad, but 
if you don't do stuff, you're going to regret that so much more than if you do something and suck at it. Yeah, because even if you do something and suck at it, you'll probably still have a good story. You'll have a good story and you'll learn. You know, you'll learn. I tell my kids all the time, man, they'll, they'll like do something new, like play soccer or play table tennis, and they won't be good at it at first. And they'll say, I'm just not good at this. And I'll just look at it and say, no, you're new at this. Don't, yeah. don't you're, you're not good at it yet. Right. You're not good at it yet. Exactly. You're, you're new at this. And they responded to that. They, you know, they'll, they'll actually say, yeah, you know, right. I am new at this. Nobody's good at something the first time they do it. Very few people, I should say, are, are good at anything the first time they do it. So that's it, man. I mean, the story is the story. I mean, there are a lot more from different parts of my life, but that five years from about 2004 to 2009, I mean, that's kind of the, the sweet spot where it gets into, hey, that was, that was something that not a lot of people do is you get to go fly. And it was so fun running into people from your past. And a lot of people from Memphis had moved to Atlanta. And when mm-hmm. I got to, hey, what do you do for a living? And I got to tell them what I did. Like, you don't want to like, you know, go up and just like announce to the world what you do and how proud you are of it. But when they ask, that's your opportunity to be like, oh, actually, you know, I'm the, I'm the engineer and producer for, for Atlanta Braves baseball. You know, I, I, I travel the country and go to baseball games for a living. Yeah, I, I hang out with I hang out with with Major League Baseball uh, players, and, and I, I, I hang out with Mark Lemke. Here, let's give him a call. I, well, you want to give Mark Lemke a call right now? The Lemmer. <laughs> the Lemmer. We can do it. No, it's fun, man. Uh, Mark Lemke and I've got some stories. We got stuck in the sand during spring training in the WGST Trailblazer. If you remember that station, <laughs> I, I do. Yeah, a lot of stuff. I, yeah, I could I could go on and on about you know, all the people I've met and all the weird hijinks. Uh, but it would take too long. We'd be here. I don't know. We'd be here for four hours, dude. We we, we could be. Yeah. No, I, I think you've, uh, you've definitely uh, shared some important life lessons. So, so thanks so much for telling your story. Well, that's what I'm here for. Keith is to share life lessons from the guy in his basement in the suburbs during a pandemic. That's, that's all you got. We covered a lot of ground with Jake, dealing with right. being a fan of your team while surrounded by heathens who support another team, grabbing a hold of opportunities when they appear, and reconnecting with your second grade classmates. If you think you can top Jake's story, send me an email at greateststoryeverpodcast at gmail.com.